Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I'm happy to be with you this week to talk about a brand new topic as we head into our first third generation asset. Welcome to the third generation. Have you ever seen a third generation investment? Well, what exactly does that mean? And we're going to talk about that. The third generation asset is essentially the grandson or granddaughters, the grandchild of an original asset. An original asset, the first generation asset, gets 1031 into a second generation asset. And then that asset is sold and 1031s into a third generation. That's what we're going to talk about this week. Thanks for joining me. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to shoot me an email, pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And don't forget to swing by the Learning Center at marapoling.com for more great, hopefully valuable educational content. All right. So welcome to the third generation. We are in the process uh, at one of our uh, investments of moving into the third generation. What we mean by that is this, is we've had an asset in this particular instance, an asset that we purchased after a relatively modest hold period, we achieved our return objectives. We then sold that asset. We did it using something called a 1031 exchange. We took the profits from that asset and moved it into a second generation asset. That second generation asset has performed well, and it is now becoming a third generation asset, again, via a 1031. So why do you do this? What's the value of it? Is it just about taxes? How does that help returns? That's what we want to dive into. So preface all of that with we are long investors. What I mean by that is we have confidence in multifamily real estate, not only as an investment vehicle today, we also like multifamily in the long term. We will not hold individual assets long-term. We're not looking to buy a property and hold it for 20 years. We may on occasion do that, but that is not our objective. Our objective is to buy assets, hold them till the value-add work we have done matures, and then sell that asset and move into a, a new asset. But to do that over a long period of time, now, one of the benefits of doing that over a long period of time is it effectively eliminates any need to worry about market timing. Now, I know some of you are going to be listening and saying, well, wait a minute, wouldn't you want to buy low and sell high on every one of those? Wouldn't that help you make a better return? Of course it would. We're selling assets that are class B value-add assets that still have some value-add work to be done. That's an important part of our strategy. And we're replacing them in similar, if not the same market, with a Class B value-add asset. 
in general, the price per dollar of NOI, the way the valuations are going to work, if we're able to sell high, we're probably going to have to pay higher. Therefore, we're not getting any benefit of market timing. And conversely, if we sell when it's low, well, we're buying when it's low. And so buy low and sell high um, can be a real challenge when we're doing this. It also doesn't matter. If you're a long investor, those items smooth out over time, which is wonderful because it actually means we can be active through the entirety of the not only economic cycle, but whatever real estate cycle might exist in that particular market. So being long has a great many values associated with it. Now, when we buy an asset, a first generation asset, we'll start there. And let's say that we buy an asset with $10 million of investment money. Uh, it's a $20 million asset, and we buy with $10 million in cash. That 10 million does all sorts of things. It's down payment. So along with the debt, it's enough to purchase the asset. It covers the cost of purchasing the asset, and it covers the capital improvements that we want to do at that asset. Well, that asset performs well. We see our 7 or 8% cash return, which would be our target, and we see about a 10% growth in equity every year, meaning by the time we get out to year four or year five, we've built up a meaningful amount of what we would call lazy equity. So that $10 million has grown in value to be worth $14 million or $15 million. So we have several million dollars sitting inside this asset that isn't doing anything. We're not getting a higher cash return because of it. Our cash has done exactly what we expected. Uh, and we're not getting any incremental growth because of that. So around year five, typically, we would look to exit that position and do so via a 1031. So what that looks like is we sell that asset. Now our $10 million has become worth $15 million. Plus, remember, along the way, we made $4 million in cash, 8% a year, five years, $10 million. So we got $4 million in cash that we've benefited from. And in addition to that, we made $5 million. So now we've got $15 million after we sell that asset. Because we did a 1031, we aren't stopping to pay the tax man. Now, if we don't do a 1031, or if you had this same experience with, say, a, a, a stock position that you had, right? You, you buy $10 million worth of ABC stock, and it grows to the point where it's worth 15 million. When you sell that $15 million in stock, you got to stop and pay the tax man on the $5 million in gain you had, not to mention you've been paying, paying tax on the distributions that have been going along the way. Here, this is a much more tax efficient model. So that 15 million is available to go into another asset. We call that next asset a second generation asset. That's not an industry term. It's simply the way we, we refer to them so that when we're talking with our clients, we can differentiate within our portfolio which assets are the initial assets, the first generation, 
which are the second generation, meaning they're assets that were purchased with 1031 funds, and now a third generation. And we're almost there to talk about that. So that second generation asset, we're not looking for any different kind of return than we saw with the first generation asset. We're looking to purchase an asset, class B, value add. We'd like to see something like 8% cash. Maybe it's a little less, maybe it's a little more, but we'd like to see something like 8% cash. And we'd like to see the same equity growth every year of around 10%, meaning that after five years, we would have made half of that investment, half of the money we put in, we'd have made that much. We'd have made 50%. Now, here, we're putting $15 million in. Remember, our original $10 million became 15 in the first generation asset. We're now putting $15 million into this new asset. And it's going to generate an 8% cash return on the $15 million, And it's going to generate a 10% equity growth on the $15 million. Nothing different about that. That would be our target. But that's not actually the return we're experiencing because we don't have $15 million invested. We've only got $10 million invested. The extra $5 million is the gain from that original asset which includes the dollars we would have had to stop and pay in tax. So a million, million and a half dollars, uh, something in that range, maybe even a little more, depending upon where someone lived. So all of those dollars are now working in the new asset. So if we look at the returns, the actual dollar returns we'd see in terms of distributions and in equity growth, and look at those relative to the $10 million investment, what we see is that second generation asset is generating something like a 12% cash return. Think about that. It's 50% more dollars being invested relative to the original $10 million investment on an 8% normalized cash return. 150% of 8% is 12%. So we've got 12% cash. We have second generation assets that are doing that today, actually north of that. And that 10% equity growth is actually 15% equity growth. So the first generation asset had a simple total return of 18%, 8% cash, 10% equity growth. The second generation asset has a simple return of 27%. 12% cash, 15% equity growth. And that's where we've been with this particular asset that we're talking about. Well, it is now to the point where that asset has matured. And what we mean by that is it has developed sufficient lazy equity. We've achieved our return objectives and we've developed sufficient lazy equity that the time is coming up to be able to exit this asset, execute another 1031, and put those proceeds into a new asset. And so here's what that's going to look like. And this is the exciting part where being a long investor in multifamily turns into not only a conservative, safe, secure place to put dollars, but into a high return investment. And that is 
that 10 million became 15 million. When that asset is sold, when that second generation asset is sold, we're now looking at 22 and a half million dollars that's coming out of that asset that's available to be invested in the third generation asset. That third generation asset is going to earn 8% on the 22 and a half million. It's going to earn 10% equity growth on that 22 and a half million. But those raw dollar amounts aren't 8% and 10% on the original 10 million. They are 18%, 18% cash return on a third generation asset and 22.5% annual average equity growth on the $10 million that was originally invested for a simple total return of over 40%. So that original $10 million is now generating over $4 million a year in returns. Now, how long does it take to do that? In the instance we're talking about, it's going to be something in the neighborhood of about six, maybe seven years, something like that. The final analysis will happen in 2023 when all of these transactions take place. That's very rapid. I think a reasonable expectation would be somewhere between 10 years on the shorter end and maybe 14 years on the really long end. So like seven years for each hold period. Five is, I think, pretty, pretty reasonable. That would certainly be a target that we would have, which would mean you've got five years where you're making that 8% cash and 10% equity growth. You've got the second five years, years six through 10, where you're making 12% cash and 15% equity growth. And then in years 11 through 15, you're making 18% cash and 22.5% equity growth. Long investors. So you, you're putting money into multifamily with the intention that you're going to be a long investor, not long in any one asset, but long in the space, long in real estate, long in multifamily. By the time you're 10 years down the road, if not possibly sooner, like I said, we're going to be around six or seven years for this particular asset transaction. By the time you're 10 years down the road, you've received some cash, but now you're in a position where you're seeing significant cash returns. 18%, that's $1.8 million a year on a $10 million investment. Equity growth, 22.5%, over $2 million a year in equity growth. That 10 million is growing more and more rapidly. Over the course of five years, you'd add another 11, almost $12 million in value to that. Meaning at the end of year 15, you could be in a position where you'd have about $35 million in equity. So that 10 million has turned into 35 million over 15 years. Quite amazing. Let's take a quick peek at that. What is that? So 35 million over the 10 million. So you've got 25 million in growth over 15 years 
That's a 16.7% average annual equity growth over a 15-year time frame. Not by increasing the risk of any of the assets, continuing to invest in our nice middle-of-the-road Goldilocks class, class B assets. And this is not modeled. This is not hypothetical. This is the actual performance that we've seen out of an example asset that's in our portfolio right now that's getting ready to go third generation. That's the real power of long-term investing. Yes, there's some tax benefits. Yes, you can step away from market timing. Great example. Let's say that you happen to buy an asset and you're doing that more at the peak. I won't say you're overpaying, but you're paying on the higher end. Maybe you're buying at a time when interest rates are higher. Okay, so your cash might be six or six and a half percent, not eight. Well, if it's a second generation asset or a third, that means you're looking at maybe a 15% cash return, not 18. I think most investors would be extraordinarily happy with a 15% cash return. So the market timing issues smooth out, as I said, over time. And we're able to really focus on simply investing in quality assets, managing them until they get to the point that they've checked enough boxes that it makes sense to roll out of that asset and move into a new one so that we can get that lazy equity working again for us. If you've got more questions about third generation assets, about 1031s, about how all of this works, I am happy to answer them. You can email me pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And with that, I hope you have a great rest of your week. And please join me next week as we head into the final two episodes of season six in 2022 on multifamily real estate investing presented by Mara Poling.